Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Michelle Seiler Tucker, and she is the founder and CEO of Seiler Tucker Incorporated. She holds the Mergers and Acquisitions Master Intermediary title, as well as Certified Mergers and Acquisitions Professional and Certified Senior Business Analyst. Michelle also owns many other businesses in several different industries, and as a 20-year veteran in the M&A industry, she is regarded as the leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. Her and her firm have sold over a thousand businesses in almost every vertical and have a remarkable track record of success. In addition to being featured in Inc., Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, and USA Magazine, Michelle is an international keynote speaker and makes regular radio and TV appearances on Fox Business News and CNBC. She has spoken alongside many prominent speakers, including Eric Trump, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Kathy Ireland, Donna Karen, Stedman Graham, Randy Zuckerberg, Steve Wozniak, and more. She is a, the best-selling author of the book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, and has a new book coming out, ex, coming out called Exit Rich. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. That's a mouthful, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I'm honored. I'm so honored to have you on the show. Your, your track record is, is stellar, to say the least. Thank uh, you. Yeah, but before, before we really get into it, maybe if you could, one, one of the questions you asked when we were pre-recording was what our, who our audience is, and I, and I gave you a sneak peek into that. So maybe you could tell our audience a little bit more about how you got into all of what you do and what uh, Siler Tucker does. Sure. So, gosh, how did I get into this? <laughs> I don't think I woke up one day and said, oh, my gosh, I'm going to sell businesses, but... I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always, even as a child, I would walk around and walk up to strangers and ask people, what do you do? And how, how do you do it? <laughs> and how'd you get started? I started asking those questions like at six years old, seven years old, eight years old, and I would write my answers down in a notebook. So I've always been interested in entrepreneurship. I've always been interested in small business. I've owned many different small businesses. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really grow up with a family of entrepreneurs. My dad owned a company, um, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, a lot of times my mom was shopping at thrift stores and we would get all of our clothes at, at secondhand stores and, and we would always hide our clothes because my mom's mm. like, don't let your dad see <laughs> what we bought, even though it was secondhand stuff. So I always said, you know what, I want to be my own boss. I want to control my own destiny, you know. I don't want my kids to want for anything. And I, I really think that's probably one of the reasons um, that, that I went, you know, into the entrepreneurship path and went down that path. Um, I did work for corporate America for a brief amount of time. Uh, Xerox actually recruited me and um, Xerox recruited me from one of their competitors and I was there for six months and my nickname became the closer. So every time somebody can close a deal, they're like, well, call Michelle. She can do it. She's a closer. And then they promoted me very quickly um, into regional vice president. And I just didn't like corporate America. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't like 
you know, having meetings to have meetings to just have more follow-up meetings and really never accomplish anything. <laughs> so I ended up leaving Xerox and um, going into franchise sales, franchise development, franchise consulting, sold hundreds and hundreds of franchises, put some franchisors on the map, and then decided to transition to mergers and acquisitions because so many buyers are like, Michelle, I don't want to buy a franchise. I don't want a franchise, you know, because franchise is not for everybody. So I'm like, you know what? I need an M&A firm. <laughs> so that's when I transitioned to selling companies. Then I learned very quickly that what Steve Forbes says is very true, that eight out of 10 businesses, 80% of businesses will not sell. So then I'm like, gosh, if I don't start fixing them and growing them, I'm going to starve to death. So that's really when I transition to buying, selling, fixing, growing. I buy businesses and flip them. I partner with business owners as well. Um, and, and invest my money, time, energy, expertise to really put them on a build to sell blueprint. And I personally have sold over 500 companies and my team all together, we've sold over a thousand and we've done thousands of valuations. And talk so a little bit, if, if you could talk a little bit more about that, because I think that's one of the mysteries to uh, maybe even a business owner like myself, who is a service-based business versus a product-based business. Can you talk about the differences in how you value those businesses when you go to look at when you go to look at acquiring those and then fixing and then flipping them? Yeah, so when I look at valuating businesses, it's not really a service business versus a product business. I mean, yes, there's nuances that come in as far as inventory and things of that nature, but you know, I, I value all businesses on six different methods. The, the most unique method that I use that nobody else uses because I've, I've created this method, and um, that is the 6P method. So I really bring all of, all of my business evaluations or every business I'll partner with or buy through this process. So I evaluate you know, them based upon the people, and I can go through that 6P method if you want me to, but that's how I evaluate businesses is it has to do with the 6Ps. Um, if I'm evaluating it for me to partner with, the business has to have a niche. It's got to be unique. I'm not going to go in the restaurant industry. You know, I love my restaurant owners, but I'm not one of them. It takes a certain kind of individual mm. to own that type of business. So, you know, always go into niche businesses. I want to make sure that I can grow the owners because you're only going to grow the business as much as you can grow the owners. And um, I want to make sure that, that we can have an exit plan in five years. If I can't have an exit plan in five years, I'm not interested. Yeah. Please do unpack the six P's. I think that's interesting. Okay. And that is kind of the meat of what I'm getting to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I take, so I, I, I use this process for every single company. And number one is, is people. The number one reason, again, go back to 80% of businesses don't sell. That's a startling statistic. That should wake up every business owner, you mm -hmm. know, and because really business owners have to change their mindset and they have to think of their business as an asset, not as their baby. And one of the biggest reasons that businesses don't sell, other than the fact that most business owners don't plan their exit, the other big reason is because the business, the owner is the business. And you take the owner out of the business, there's no business. I have a dentist that wants to sell his practice, been in business 45 years, one dentist. He's the dentist. He has to be huh. a dental hygienist. He has nothing to sell when he's gone because when he leaves, the patients leave. So you can sell that type of business, but then the owner has to stay on for a period of time and he doesn't want to. So the number one, the number one rule, you know, when I go through this process is people. You don't build a business, you build people and people build a business. And 
entrepreneurs want to do everything, right? You've seen that, Lance. Entrepreneurs yep. want to do everything, but they have to focus on their strengths and hire their weaknesses. So entrepreneurs really need to have the right people in the right spot, and they need to ask the who question, the right people in the right position, and the who question. Who opens the door? Who handles marketing? Who handles accounting, legal, transportation, logistics, manufacturing, associate, you know, dealing with associations, environmental issues, et cetera. The list goes on and on and on. I mean, I have a list of probably 100 who's, but the mm-hmm. clue you should never be next to the who. It sounds simple, but when you have owners listed out what everybody does and list out what they do, they have their hand in every pot. <laughs> and you really want to create a business that runs without you because if you're trying to sell a business for $5 million, $10 million, you know, $20 million, $100 million, you're never going to be able to do that if the business is dependent upon you. And you also need a layer of management as well. And so the next P is, is product. That's your service. That's your industry. Okay. So you have to ask yourself, is your product, your industry on the way up or on the way out? Is it thriving or dying? There are a lot of industries that were thriving before the pandemic that, now, that are now dying and vice versa. You know, manufacturing was dying, manufacturing was dying before COVID and now it's, it's having, you know, it's best years ever. So you want to find out, is it thriving or dying? And most importantly, do you have an Amazon or do you have a Blockbuster? And there's a lot of industries that, that need to pivot right now. The number one reason, and I don't know if you know this, but when I wrote my first book in 2013 called Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, I did the research and learned that 90%, 95% of all startups will go out of business, right? Those one to five years are the most risky. However, when I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and 2020, I learned that the business landscape has flip-flopped. Now it's only 30% of startups are at risk. Mm-hmm. However, out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business 10 years or longer, 70, 70, 70% of those companies will go out of business. You hear about the public companies all the time, like Toys R Us went out of business after being in business for 75 years, but Toys R Us never did anything differently. <laughs> is, is the digital move fueling that? Is that I think is it, it's is a that combination. It it's a combination. It's a combination of the digital move and it's a combination of owners stop doing what I call AIM. And AIM is always innovate in market. Always innovate in market. Look at Blockbuster. Blockbuster sold Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. They had the opportunity to buy Netflix and they did nothing. So many business owners are married to their idea. They become complacent and they want to do things the way they've always done them. And you can't do that in business. Whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to purchase your products and services is a company who's going to win. Amazon is winning right now because they make it so easy, mm-hmm. right? So business owners really have to stop being complacent and they have to go back to innovating and marketing, innovating and marketing. That's the name of the game. And if you're, you're either growing or dying. There's really no in between, right? So in product and and the industry, if you're dying, I mean, you really should ask yourself three, you know, really transformational questions. And Amazon did this back in the 90s. Amazon asked themselves, what business are we in? And they said, we're in the book selling business. And then they asked themselves, what do we do really, really well, better than anyone else? And they said, we do fulfillment better than anyone else. What business should we be in? And I said, we should be in a fulfillment business. Those three questions right there transformed Amazon to a small book selling company to the multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. These questions might sound simple, but I'm telling you right now, 
this is why businesses are going out of business is <laughs> because they stop asking, you know, what business are we in? What did we do really, really well? What should we pivot to? And more than ever before, industries that are dying, restaurants, you know, hotels, some of these industries, hospitality, the, the industries that are really dying need to go back and look at how they can pivot. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I really liked your acronym there. So AIM, it was always innovate and market, correct? Mm-hmm. Always Beautiful. innovate market. Yeah, we, we, we do uh, meeting every morning and we're following this two second lean approach. And uh, I'm, I'm going to bring that up tomorrow. I think that was me. That'll be my big. You gave me the credit though. Absolutely. A hundred, a hundred percent. So I think, I think yeah. we got through two of the P's. Is that right? We got through yes. people and, pro- and uh, people and products. What else? Yeah. The third P is processes. So processes are typically overlooked and never never thought of until something happens, right? It's kind of like exit strategy. Nobody wants to sell their business until uh, partner disputes happens or divorce happens or health issues or death. Same thing with processes. People don't really think about processes until something happens. We're selling a manufacturing business and it was a catastrophic event that occurred. And um, the owner says, oh, we need a process for health, uh, health and safety on the manufacturing floor. And I'm like, you needed that before. <laughs> they had another company where a client clients were just bashing them on the internet, destroying this company. They're like, oh, well, we need a, a process for customer service. I'm like, too late. You needed that before. So mm-hmm. processes really need to be designed from the beginning of buying or starting a business. And they really should be designed with the customer experience in mind. So many companies, think about this. Have you ever had a great experience when you went to a restaurant or you always get that, like McDonald's, right? I'm not saying you get a great experience at McDonald's, but the McDonald's brothers started McDonald's in the 40s. And mm-hmm. they said, we're going to create our business around the customer experience, our processes around the customer experience. I don't know if you watched the movie The Founder, but it's like one of the best movies ever. It, it is. Uh, what I would say is yeah. the modern day version of that would be newest would be Chick-fil-A. It's a, it's a beautiful, yeah. it's a beautiful experience when you go through every time. One of the best things they say is it's, it's my pleasure. I'm like, yeah, it is your pleasure. It's awesome. But it no, is. It's, it's a beautiful yeah. experience. And the customer service is always so good, much better than McDonald's. But the only reason I bring up McDonald's, if you watch the movie, The Founder, is because they designed the processes around the customer experience. They said, we want customers to get great tasting food. We want it to be hot and we want it to be fast, right? So do you remember when they went out to the tennis courts and drew out all the processes? Mm-hmm. And then they erased it and had it. They did this all day, right? So you can eat at a McDonald's anywhere on the road and pretty much get the same experience. So Chick-fil-A is a great example because their service is so much better than McDonald's. Yep. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, business owners really need to design the processes around the customer experience in mind. Have you ever done business with a company, a bank, a social media company, I'm like, I mentioned names, and the processes are terrible. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'll never do business with these the, these people again. So you really have to think about the customer when you design your processes, because if you don't create happy customer experiences, your competitors will love to. And they obviously need to be productive, efficient, um, and they need to be well-documented. The first thing buyers look at when they go into due diligence is your policy and procedure manuals, your SOPs, your employee handbooks, your non-competes for your upper level management. So the fourth P, which is the highest value driver, the fourth P can take you from a four multiple to an eight multiple. And this is proprietary. There are six pillars to proprietary. There's five different types of buyers. Buyers buy synergies. Buyers will pay more money for synergistic assets. 
Branding is number one. The more well-branded a business is, the more I can sell the company for, as long as that brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Is anybody going to pay any money for Blockbuster? No, but they'll pay money for Toys R Us because it's still relevant in the mind of the consumers. So branding is huge. Trademarks are really big. One of the biggest mistakes that business owners make with trademarks is they, they'll go and start a company in, in New York and they get a state license for New York, but they never check the federal database. Mm. And so you have to protect your name. You have to protect your slogan. You have to protect your um, podcast name, you know, because you could be in business for a few years and all of a sudden, boom, you get a cease and desist letter in the mail and you have to stop using that company name. Yeah, the one you built just because you didn't do due diligence. That's right. That's right. So go and spend the 1500 bucks and get a trademark. All right. And then the other thing that's very valuable is patents. We sold a business that wasn't making very much money, but they had 18 patents. It's a million dollars a patent. And have you ever watched Shark Tank? Of course. And what, is every, what does every single investor always ask, every inventor? Uh, what do you, how much, what, are your, what were your sales? What are your profits last year? Do you year? have a patent on this? Do you have a patent? Oh, okay. Do you have a patent penny? Do you have a utility patent? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so patents are huge. And then the other thing that, that is really valuable are contracts, manufacturing contracts, distribution contracts, exclusivity contracts, um, franchisor who has thousands of franchisees. The most valuable contracts of all are those client contracts. Client contracts are huge because buyers want to make sure that they're buying a business that's going to have money flowing in and out, flowing in. <laughs> Not so much flowing out, but flowing in. And they, you know, reoccurring revenues, subscription models. These businesses sell for more, for much higher multiple. Databases. You could be losing money. You could be hemorrhaging. And I could sell your, your company for a lot of money if you have a database where, where the users can be retargeted and repurposed. I mean, look at Facebook. They pay $19 billion for WhatsApp. And WhatsApp was hemorrhaging. And then the other big thing is celebrity endorsements. You know, um, we're, scared, we're selling a project that has endorsements by Oprah Winfrey. Huge. Competitors, competitors and strategics eat that up. They're going to pay more money because they want to be in front. They want to get their products and services in front of Oprah. Any type of e-commerce businesses that have a good, um, that have the number one, number two, number three position on Wayfair, Etsy, you know, Amazon, E-commerce businesses sell like hotcakes too. We get them a much higher multiple. SaaS companies, we get a much higher multiple for as well. And then the fifth P is patrons. So this is your, your customer database, your customer base. You know, most businesses follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of their clients. We were selling an advertising company that specialized in casinos. They have five clients. It was valued a little over $10 million. During the process, they lost two clients. 50% of the revenues. So you really want to make sure you have that customer diversification, not customer concentration. And then the last P, the most important P to all of us is profits. And the reason I put it last is because profits is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not having one of the other five P's. I have clients that come to me all the time and say, we should have a profit problem. And I look at their business. I'm like, no, you have a people problem or not even a process problem. Lack of profits are not the problem. It's always the symptom. Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah. While we're on the subject of profits, maybe you could pivot into, tell us about what you think are the biggest mistakes that, that people make regarding profit. 
Yeah, so some of the biggest mistakes they make really tie into the other five Ps, but one of them is is processes. I can't even begin to tell you how many business owners that I've come in contact with whose businesses I've sold who have had embezzlement issues. Mm-hmm. Embezzlement is huge. Why? Because the owners don't have a process in place. They don't have a process of trust but verify. Inspect what you expect. <laughs> and they put somebody in charge. I mean, I closed an uh, uh, oil manufacturing business, and uh, it was two companies. One was doing well, one was headed into foreclosure. And my buyer was actually buying both. And I was there, you know, it was supposed to be there for doing inventory. Ended up getting into due diligence and making sure that the inventory was there and all the payables were paid. And I saw that the CPA kept stuffing, and this was on a weekend, kept stuffing invoices in the drawer. And when she left, I opened up the drawer. I'm like, what is all of this? Come to find out she was embezzling. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So she was hiding everything. So I would say that's one of the biggest mistakes that business owners make is, is they, don't, they don't know their numbers. You know, they don't have checks and balances in place to make sure nobody's stealing from them. And they just don't know their numbers. They think that they're making money and they're this close to going out of the business. You know, so you really have to look at your KPIs and you really have to keep your eye on the numbers, the money that's coming in, the money that's going out. And tighten up. There's so much waste. You know, if you can mm. tighten up your, your processes and um, if you can tighten up your processes, you can really, like I'm working with a business right now that is working with a packaging company. It's in, in the agriculture space. And they can go from 150 employees down to 30. Now you might say, oh, gosh, we don't want to cut employees. Well, it's all about efficiency and productivity, <laughs> you know. Um, I have another company that we're selling, plastic manufacturing, they're upside down with employee costs because they have had the same employees since the day they open their doors and they reward their employees, which is great. You should. However, you can't reward your employees so much that you're upside down in employee overhead and your profit margin doesn't cover it. They work on such slight profit margins because they're in plastics manufacturing and the margins are so razor thin that it doesn't cover the raise in the employee costs. Does that make sense? 100%. And they're like, well, we don't want to sell if they're not going to keep our employees. I said, well, no buyer is going to come in here and keep mm-hmm. the employees at the cost that they are because they can never afford to. Mm-hmm. You're not yeah. making any profit. They're actually digging into their savings to keep the business afloat. Right, right. Uh, one one thing I think that might be counterintuitive to a lot of uh, people who have either are thinking about starting their own business or have just started their own business who are listeners of this podcast might be uh, planning their exit strategy and, and doing it from day one. Tell yeah. us why, and I, I see it as somebody who's about tenured now and have, and been, have actually started, have been thinking about an exit strategy. Um, tell us about that and why people shouldn't think that maybe is a counterintuitive thing. So... <laughs> The reason why it's, it's so, you're asking me, why is it so important to start your exit strategy from day one? From day one rather than, because right when you start your business, you're like, I need business. I need, that's what you're worried about. But at the same time, you should be thinking yeah. about, okay, the exit strategy. Yeah. And this is the number one reason why. Remember, eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. Actually, somebody else said it was nine out of 10. I'm going to go mm-hmm. with Steve Forbes because he endorsed my book. So I'm going to give him the credit. Yeah. But the reason why is because... The number one reason is because business owners never think about selling their business until they have to due to a catastrophic event occurring. When that catastrophic event occurs, the business is turning downward, not doing well. 
So nobody wants to buy their business. Or if they do buy their business, they're going to buy it for pennies on a dollar, right? And so they can't maximize their value when the business is trending downward. And they never built anything that anybody really wants to buy. Most buyers don't want to buy a job. Most buyers don't want to buy all your debt. Most buyers don't want to buy a company that's over, that, that's upside down and overhead. <laughs> so they've never built a business that a buyer actually wants to buy. So you really should look at it. And that's why I said it's a mindset. It's a mindset thing because a lot of business owners are like, this is my baby. This is my baby. No, it's not. Your kids are your baby. Your yep. business is your asset. Yep. And you want to you want to grow your asset so you can sell it one day and give your real babies everything that they've ever desired, <laughs> you know, and that's the biggest problem. So the reason these businesses don't sell is because the owners have never created an exit plan, mm-hmm. you know, and I always tell, we, I call it the GPS exit model, the STGPS exit model in my book, Exit Rich. And this is how I work with my clients. I'm like, okay. And the partner, and the businesses I partner with, I'm like, this is what we're doing. <laughs> if you don't like it, then don't partner with me. But Number one, from the day I'll partner with you, we're going to pick a number. When you want to drive somewhere, what do you do? You take out your phone, you go to Google Maps, and what do you plug in? The address. Right, the destination, where you want to end up at. That's what business owners never do. They drive around in circles, up and down the financial hills, they end up nowhere. So you want to plug in the destination. That's number one, your desired end game, your desired sales price. Let's say you want to sell for $30 million. Great, it's a number. You might hit it, you might not. Who really cares? Let's just start somewhere. Then what does the GPS need to know after it knows your destination? It needs to know your current location, where you're starting from. That is your evaluation. Do you know, Lance, that we go to the doctor every year to get an annual checkup, right? Mm-hmm. We want to make sure we're in good physical health. We drive our cars into to the shop to get an annual checkup. But we never get an annual valuation checkup on our business. Most business owners have never had a business valuation. Shocking. But most business owners have never had a business valuation. There are events that can increase your valuation and decrease your valuation. COVID is one of them. <laughs> so you should know every year what your business is worth. Every year. So let's say you want to sell for 30 million and you're currently worth 10 million. Well, the next thing you need to know is time frame. Let's say you want to do that in 15 years. Now we have a real plan. People mm-hmm. don't plan to fail, they plan they fail the plan. Now you need to know who's your buyers going to be. Not buyer, but buyers. Because as sellers come to me all the time and say, Michelle, 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 just do this evaluation and you can represent me with this buyer. But this buyer is buying. I'm like, no, they're not. Let's let's just go ahead and do the valuation. Let's put it on the market. I'll represent you because they know, they're not going to buy your business. <laughs> it hardly ever comes to fruition. So you need to know who your buyers are going to be. There's five types of buyers. Here's who your buyers are not going to be. It's not going to be a first-time buyer because they can't afford a $30 million company. And 90% of buyers are first-time buyers. It's not going to be a um, turnaround specialist because they buy distressed assets. So it's going to be a private equity group, strategic slash competitor, a serial entrepreneurial who chases cash flow. Then you need to know, gosh, if I'm going to sell for $30 million, where does my EBITDA need to be? Your EBITDA is going to have to be at least $5 million, mm-hmm. five to $6 million, unless you have a lot of those proprietary assets that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Then you need to know, okay, well, if my EBITDA needs to be between five to $6 million, what? How, 
What do these buyers look for? What do they buy? Oh, they buy databases. Oh, they buy client contracts. Oh, they buy residual income. Oh, they buy, and, and figure that out. And then you build to suit their criteria so that when you're ready, you have a sellable asset. And guess what? If you change your mind, you still have a profitable business that's sustainable and scalable and can run without you. Yeah. Tell me Sounds about- simple, how- right? Sounds simple, oh. right? <laughs> Sure. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. I've always been, I've been taught to say yes to almost everything. And so far it's worked out for us. Um, Once you have all of those kind of things in play and hopefully from the beginning and you keep your eye on the prize, like you're talking about, I really love this idea that you are, here's, here's the destination I want to go to. And I'm just going to throw a number at it and that it doesn't matter at this point because at least I'm moving in the right direction. I'm thinking about an exit strategy from day one, but then Ideally, I, I got to think it's got to be like real estate. You want to create a bidding war. So for your business, right? So you get the highest amount possible. How do you, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you do that? Okay, so here's how we do that. <laughs> to create a bidding war, we create bidding wars all the time. In fact, we're in a few of them right now. So to create a bidding war, war number one, you need EBITDA of over a million dollars. No, but there are more buyers for good businesses than there are good businesses to buy. Mm-hmm. There are more buyers for businesses with high EBITDA than there are with businesses under a under million dollars in EBITDA. So once we get businesses over a million dollars, we know we know who's interested. We know what pegs buy what platforms. We know what pegs buy what add-ons. We know what strategics to go after, what competitors to go after. I've got sophisticated buyers that have been in my database for years. We have over 28,000 buyers, you know, because we've been doing this 20 years. So, and we know the synergies. We know the synergies that buyers are willing to outbid other buyers for. You know, I once sold a, another oil manufacturing plant. I did a lot in oil in the energy sector, but I sold another oil manufacturing plant that we, we, um, we appraised it for $9.8 million, even though it was around, I don't know, $2 million. Appraised it in a 9.8, had 550 buyers for it, had 12 LOIs. They had customer concentration. So 65% of their revenue was tied up in the BP contract. That would scare most, most buyers. Mm-hmm. We found a strategic that owned a similar products and services, but they had been trying to get into BP for decades and can never get their feet in the door. So they were willing. They're like, we're not losing. Because <laughs> they saw this as their way not to only have this, you know, producing income asset here, but to leverage and catapult their business, their existing business, to the, to the next level. Because they knew if they could get the products and services in BP, that they could monetize an ROI. So they ended up paying $15 million for 70% of the business, which was 126 more than what the, percent, the, than what the business appraised for. So that's how we do it. You know, we know what the synergies are. We know how to find the right buyers. We know how to create, you know, that scarcity. And we also know our buyers, what they can, what we know when our buy, we know if we bring a strategic or competitor, we know what they have. We know about their manufacturing. We know about their distribution. We know everything they have. So if we have a manufacturing company that has distribution centers all around the U S and are buying another manufacturing uh, business that has a couple of uh, distribution centers in a couple of different States, they're going to cut those distribution centers immediately. Mm -hmm. And they're going to decrease their overhead immediately, increasing EBITDA from day one of buying the business. So we look for economies of scale. 
we look for what they can cut. You know, we try not to cut employees. And in that particular situation, they didn't cut the employees. They brought the employees over to their other distribution centers. But when, when we're doing, working with strategists and competitors, we have a really good idea of what they can cut and how they can increase their EBITDA with economies of scale. Does sure. that make sense? It does 100%. One thing I keep failing to ask you is unpack that acronym for us, EBITDA. What, is, what does that mean for people mm. who've never heard that before? And you know what? I'm sorry, because usually when I say EBITDA, I usually say the whole thing. Yeah. But I guess we've just been on a roll here. <laughs> yep. So EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Okay. Got it. Got it. Good. Then, Perfect. Yeah. That's EBITDA. And we want to look at adjusted EBITDA because a lot of business owners live out of their business. So we want to normalize the financials and add back all personal expenses and non-reoccurring. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. Uh, let's kind of move into your book here. Tell us a little bit about the book, what's in it, and why people should pick it up. Sure. So a lot of what I've just been talking about is in it. <laughs> so we, we go into great detail about the, the STGPS exit model and how to plan your end from the beginning and why it's so important and how to set these different types of goals and how to have, you know, annual valuation checkups. We also go into what I call the seller's sanity check and the seller's mindset because it's a mindset thing. You know, it's kind of like for empty nesters. It's like the empty nester syndrome. When all of your kids leave, and you're too young to know that, and I'm too young to know that, but when all of your kids leave, the husband and wife look at each other and go, now what? Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of the same thing for a business, you know? So we really, in, in, in the book, we have different exercises and we really walk our clients through the different exercises that you need to do to figure out what you're going to do next. Because if I don't help a, a business owner plan their beginning strategy, they'll never follow through with their exit strategy. Mm-hmm. So that's in there. We go in depth into the five different types of buyers. We go in depth into the six P's. We really go into a lot of information on how to evaluate businesses, the six different types of models that we use, how to normalize financials. We talk about the five different types of buyers and how each one has different negotiations, non-negotiables that they will not live without, and how you negotiate with each different type of buyer. We go into due diligence. We go into how to create packaging on your business. I mean, just everything from, from A to Z. And um, Sharon Lecter is my co-author on Exit Rich, and she wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. And she's also written several books. So she's been a New York Times bestselling author five times, plus she's written several books in the Think and Grow Rich Napoleon Hill Foundation. She also is a CPA, so she adds a mentor's corner after each one of my chapters. Uh, she's a financial literacy expert and an advisor to several different presidents. And her husband is an IP attorney, so that helps too. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, Kevin Harrington, the original Shark on Shark Tank, wrote the foreword. Steve Forbes has endorsed it along with Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen. And um, everyone can go get the book now. If they, you know, everyone should go get the book now. Uh, they can buy it on Amazon, but we're in pre-sale. So I would encourage everyone to get it at exitrichbook.com because it's less expensive than Amazon. $24.79 at exitrichbook.com. We will, we will ship the book to your doorstep upon launch date. Launch date. Plus, we will send you the um, automatic download. So we'll we email you the digital download immediately so you don't have to wait to read it. And then we will give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club. So we have video content 
in the membership where I'm doing deep dives in some of these different techniques and strategies. But most importantly, we have documents. All the documents you need to, to run your business and sell your business. Business owners come to me and I'm like, Michelle, I've never seen a non-compete or an employee handbook or an organizational chart. Mm. Or business owners will say, well, what is this? What does the LOI, letter of intent, even look like? What's a purchase agreement look like? What's due diligence checklist look like? What do closing docs look like? We have all of those documents there for your review and your immediate download. And that is worth over $25,000. If you want to try to create all those documents, it will cost you over $25,000 with an attorney. Plus, we're also giving a 30-day free membership into Club CEOs, which is an entrepreneurial mastermind that I started where we do those Q&As and hot seats and really help business owners build a, a sustainable, scalable, and when they're ready, sellable business. I love it. Thank you for that. Uh, I am actually going to go pick this up um, right after the podcast um, because everything you've said is is exactly kind of where I'm at, especially in the real, the big, I, I was already sold anyway, but I think the selling point for me, what, uh, some of the points you just made about that I can download all of that stuff right away. Um, yep. All of that, all of that documentation is so critical. So I really, you know, I just want to thank you ahead of time for putting that together and putting that out there. Uh, you You're know, welcome. Maybe- and if I'm missing something, tell me and I'll give it to you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll do. One last question I'd like to ask all of our guests is knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time to when you first started your business, what is one piece of advice you would give yourself? Um, probably, probably, probably hire a mentor early on. Mm. Hire an expert, a mentor early on. Somebody who's already been down the path you want to drive down because they can shorten your learning curve exponentially and um, they can keep you from making a lot of mistakes because, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know. And I never really started working with any mentors until probably 2012, 2013. Oh. And if I was started, you know, 15, if I would have started, you know, in 2000 or, or even, you know, before that, then um, I might even be further along than where I am today. But I think that's always a big one. And I think that's a big one for everybody. You know, there's strength in numbers. You're not an island. You don't have to do it alone. The more successful somebody is, the more time, energy, effort, and sometimes money they have to help other people be successful. Absolutely. I would echo that as well. Uh, After people pick up your book, where can people find and follow you on social media? So a couple of places. They can always go to my website at SilerTucker.com. That's SilerTucker.com. They can also text Michelle to 888-526-5750. And then my website pops up. All of my social media pops up. So you can find me on Facebook too, Michelle Siler Tucker. I have a bunch of pages. So follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram and connect with me on LinkedIn. Awesome. I will do that. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Michelle. Have a Thank good you, one. Lance. Thank you for having me. Yep.